Welcome to the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast, which aims to advance gospel-centered youth ministry by equipping and empowering youth ministers to faithfully disciple students towards lifelong faith in Jesus Christ. The Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast is part of the Rooted Family of Podcasts, which also includes the Rooted Conference Podcast, the Rooted Parent Podcast, Ask Alice, and Thanos to Theos. To learn more about Rooted, visit us at rootedministry.com. I'm your host, Davis Lacey. This is the first of several podcasts that I'll be recording here at Rooted's 2022 conference in the beautiful scenic city of Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, City of Fountains, I am told. It's the City of Fountains. It's the City of Fountains, confirmed by one of Kansas City's native and favorite sons. My guest on today's episode of the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast, Seth Stewart. Seth, welcome. Thank you uh, for welcoming me to the city that I only lived in for 11 months. So not technically a native son. However, I'll gladly accept <laughs> that honor, especially since I am now a Chiefs fan after I was here when they won the Super Bowl. Amen. So I feel like Amen. I am a firstborn son of Kansas City now. As someone who grew up watching Georgia Tech college football games and seeing Harrison Butker kick field goals at Georgia Tech, I, I feel yeah. like the Chiefs might very well be my AFC team. So. We're brothers and we're brothers of Kansas City. <laughs> Bro- City unites us. Firstborn brothers of Kansas City, oh, right here. Oh my gracious! Well, we are off the rails already on this episode. Uh, if you are still listening with us, and I hope that you are, a brief introduction for Seth. Seth is a longtime friend of Rooted. He has a decade's experience as a youth pastor, and now he oversees the theology of a nonprofit that's seeking to show how every part of the Bible points to Jesus. And the name of that nonprofit is Spoken Gospel. So Seth, my first question to you, man, is tell us about your work with Spoken Gospel and how did you find your way into this kind of work? Yeah, so we are making short films that introduce every book of the Bible, showing the main point of that book of the Bible and how it points to Jesus. And in particular, my project is I'm writing about, we've divided the Bible up into about 750 different literary units and are trying to figure out how, what the main point of those literary units are and how they tell us a new facet of the story and good news of Jesus. Uh, So that's what we're doing. And the way that it started was actually a, a conversation with a friend of mine. He and I kind of both fell into like, a Christocentric or a gospel-centered or a Jesus-centered reading of the Bible kind of around the same time for the ministry of someone named Sam Storms. Sure. And we just kind of fell in love with it and started nerding out about it. We would, I'd invite him over to my house for dinner and we, over drinks and food, would just talk about how Jesus is in Leviticus and then Jesus is in the book of Numbers. And our wives would kind of roll their eyes and they would have a conversation in a different part of the house while we (laughs) kept talking about how Jesus is in all the weird parts of scripture. And we were just so fascinated by this and would have so many conversations about it. We one day decided to put a mic between us and start a podcast, which we did. And that has now snowballed into a fairly large ministry that uh, my friend runs and I run the theology for. So that's the short version of the story, at least. That's awesome. That's a great story. Uh, um, and you've been doing this for, for how long? For Spoken Gospel for how long? Yeah. I've been there now for a little over two years. Okay. Um, and before that, I was a youth pastor, as you said, for a little over a decade. So let's talk through that decade of, of youth ministry experience. Number one, thanks for, man, just thanks for your faithfulness. And I know that that's Jesus's faithfulness through you, but youth ministry is hard work as our listeners know. And so thanks for your yeah. faithfulness in that way. Thanks, man. Um, you know, my question to you on youth ministry is, you know, firsthand how difficult it can be to engage with Bible exposition with teenagers, but you also know how important and vital it is mm-hmm. to teach the scripture faithfully in a gospel centered way 
two teenagers. So yeah. uh, what are common challenges that you face and that you see other youth ministers facing um, when we're seeking to do that kind of work? And, and do you yeah. have any encouragement for maybe finding our way out of those challenges? Yeah, I I mean, I think most youth pastors are pretty well aware of the challenges they're facing. <laughs> it's like, I don't need to inform you on how you're suffering in the moment. But I mean, obviously, it's always hard to balance study versus face-to-face time sure. with the ones that you're supposed to be discipling. Um, and there's that constant pressure, at least for me. I don't know if anybody's an Enneagram fan out there, but like as somebody who just, an Enneagram one and somebody who wants things to be right the first time and like as perfect as they can be, that constant pressure to constantly fiddle and tinker and critique yourself and then make sure it's just perfect so that it lands on Wednesday night or Sunday morning was probably my most difficult challenge um, when I was preparing sermons. So much so that the hardest part for me actually was never leading up to it. I would always feel pretty like, I got this. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always like the night after or that night. And I honestly cried myself to sleep, like not not joking for a podcast, like cried myself to sleep multiple nights, just feeling this overwhelming sense that I'd failed my students. Oh. I didn't do the job right. I could have done it better. Replaying moments of my ser- of those sermons over and over again, where it's like, oh, I messed that up. I could have said that smoothly, more smoothly. My joke didn't land. I don't know if my kids got the point I was making. I was too confusing. I went five minutes over time. And just feeling in the darkness of the night, unable to sleep, just rehearsing my failures. Um, so that was honestly my biggest challenge um, as a youth pastor for a really long time, just that neurotic sense that I was constantly failing my students because I wasn't doing the job up to the standard that I had set for myself. And so that was my, that was my biggest challenge yeah. in youth ministry. Um, Before we go further on that, man, let me, let me ask you how, how Jesus met you in that, because, yeah. you know, one of our five pillars here at Rooted is, is theological depth through Bible exposition. But another one is gospel centrality. Yeah. So this is an intersection of those two, you know, values that we have. So, in this self-loathing, um, self-inflicted anxiety, sense of failure, uh, how did Jesus meet you and encourage you in that? Yeah, um, there was a moment when I think Jesus let me lower the bar. <laughs> and I think I had this sense that I needed to be perfect on behalf of my students, but I wasn't being invited to be perfect on my students' behalf. Jesus did that for Amen. me. So what I needed to do was teach the Bible and preach the gospel. And if I explained the main point of the Bible and I got to Jesus, no matter how clumsily, that's actually where I was promised all the power through scripture. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, not my cutting cultural commentary. Um, Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation. His gospel raises people from the dead and its proclamation makes the spirit come alive in students. So that word like liberated me from mm. feeling the need to like nail it. So like, did I preach the Bible? Yeah, I think I did. It was kind of clumsy, but I got the main point out. Mm-hmm. Did I talk about how Jesus is good news? I think I did. I, and I literally, I could go to sleep. Mm. Like, you know, like literally as a man who wasn't able to fall asleep, weeping over my own failures, that Lowering the bar was good news for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's great, man. That's great. Well, the next question I want to ask you is a question about how you, you know, what, what tools and approaches you found helpful to do that in the context of youth ministry. Uh, before I do that, I'm going to give a brief pause so that we can hear from a sponsor on today's episode. Youth workers. 
Have you ever experienced the puzzle of building a discipleship strategy for your students? Trying to find the curriculum pieces to fit in the places of Sunday school, small groups, and events can be a true challenge. In a search for traditional curriculum, it's difficult to find the format, length, topics, and themes that best fit the vision you have for teaching your students. Sometimes you order a curriculum study only to realize some of the theology doesn't line up with what your church or denomination would teach. With your youth ministry curriculum, you can have the freedom of a custom curriculum piece built for your ministry. Imagine curriculum built by someone else to free you up to focus on investing in students based on your schedule, your format, and your theology that will best equip your leaders to disciple your students. You and your students can find the perfect piece to fit your discipleship strategy with custom content from your youth ministry curriculum. Visit us online at youryouthministrycurriculum.com and let's start a conversation on how your next small group, Sunday school lesson, or event resource can maximize biblical content for your students today. We're joined again by Seth Stewart, uh, who is um, Theological Oversight for Spoken Gospel. Is that your... My uh, official title is Program Director. Program but, Director. But that basically means I'm overseeing the theology and the creative side of our... So we'll uh, call you the Presbyteros of... Uh, I, the Bishop, the bishop of, of Programs, okay. of Creativity, the Bishop of Creativity. The Creative Bishop. Yeah, I love that. All right. <laughs> he is the, he's the Bishop who's the hippest, uh, Seth Stewart uh, here, and... Uh, uh, you know, we were just hearing your story about just how Jesus met you and allowed you to lower the bar and say, faithfully proclaiming the word of God in a way that highlights the work of the Son of God. That's enough. That's enough. So so what are the tools that you would offer to other youth ministers, maybe who are struggling with the same sorts of things that would mm-hmm. appropriately help them highlight Jesus in every part of Scripture? Yeah, I. this is the tool that I personally find most helpful for me. Um, and really I've just absorbed it so much I don't even think about it, but it's also the tool I teach to students and I've been blown away by how frequently sixth graders will outpace my ability to see Jesus in a given passage of scripture. Okay. And it's, I don't really remember what I heard it, uh, learned it from, but it's just called the Swedish method. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's, um, it's four little symbols and you, I draw them on a whiteboard whenever I do this with my students. Um, and the four symbols are just a light bulb, a question mark. Um, an arrow and a cross. And so I draw these little four things on a whiteboard where I'm teaching to the students or, you know, I just have them in my head when I'm reading on my own. And the idea is you read the Bible four different times looking for four different things or read your passage scripture four different times for four different things. The first time I'm just looking for things that light up in the text to me. What's interesting? What do I find odd or infuriatingly confusing or things that like, that sounds encouraging. And I'm just looking for things that light up and catch my interest on the first glance. The second time I read it, and oftentimes while I'm doing that light bulb section, I also just have questions. Like, I have no idea what this passage means. Why is Paul all of a sudden talking about atoning sacrifice when I thought he was talking about Gentiles? What like, and I just highlight things that I find confusing. And if you're doing this with teenagers, there's a lot of things that are confusing that you probably wouldn't have thought were confusing. Sure. And that's actually part of Bible study. And I think that's been also a great moment, a teaching moment for our students, my students too. It's like, oh, hey, what's confusing to you? That's actually part of your Bible study. Naming that question and putting it out loud is good. It's good. It's helpful. It's super good. So the light bulb, the question mark, the arrow is like, what is this passage calling me to do or believe? And then the cross how does this point me to Jesus? And what I normally tell my students and I tell myself is generally 
the things that either light up to me or the questions that I have are generally the way that I'm going to find Christ in a particular passage of scripture. Um, and the deeper step and more, reason why that is normally the case is because the things that are confusing are normally the things that feel most alien and normally the things that feel most alien are from the Old Testament and normally the things in the Old Testament are somewhere related to the sacrificial system or yeah. like something there. And so you're always going back to a point, a historic point in Israel's past where it's being foreshadowed and completed thousands of years later in the story of Jesus. And that's being picked up by the gospel writer or an, epist an epistolary writer or even, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I, I'm, I tend to be one who learns by example, yeah. learns by modeling. So any any chance of you being able to give mm -hmm. us an example of of saying, well, in this given passage, here were light bulbs, here mm -hmm. were really confusing points. And here's the synthesis of how that is going to point me to Christ. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite examples of this is actually from the book of First and Second Kings. Um, and it's the story of Elisha taking over the ministry from Elijah. And so all that context is a little bit necessary because the final passage that everybody has questions about is when the she-bears come out of the woods. I have Gustav uh, Dore's uh, painting of the she-bears. You have a painting of this? Yeah. I'll I didn't know it. a painting existed of this. I'll, uh, I'll, see, I'll see if I can link it in the show notes. But yeah, I've got Gustav Dore's yeah. illustration of this in the English Illustrated Bible back in the 1800s. Anyway, so continue. it is a odd thing. Why on earth is a prophet of God sending... Um, a pack of bears after what sound like teenage boys just being silly. So, you know, so that's my, that's the big question. That's the thing I notice too. It's like the noticing thing and the question thing line up right there. And presumably what I'm called to do or believe in this moment is to accept the fact that Elisha is Elijah's successor. That's like, that's what this whole passage of scripture is about. And now I'm left with, okay, well, how does all this tell me anything about about Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so that invites me normally to do in my study by myself is like, okay, let's figure out what bears mean. And is there a reason why this is going on the way that it is? And I will give a somewhat butchered version of Peter Lightheart's work on this, which was pretty helpful for me. Okay. And he's a great man to continue to research Peter okay. Lightheart's just resources are pretty great. But he talks about how when we're at first introduced to Elijah, Elisha's predecessor, the um, Elijah comes wearing hair, right? He's wearing a whole bunch of camel skin hair and he's kind of dressed strangely and he's uh, eating locusts and doing all sorts of weird stuff out in the desert. And then these young men start insulting Elisha for no longer having a head of hair, which is just, a, uh, he's, they're calling him bald, which is the way our Bible's translated. But the the Hebrew actually says a Baal of hair, a master of hair. So what these young men are actually criticizing Elisha for is that he no longer has the authority of his hairy predecessor, mm. Elijah. And so what happened when King Ahab's authority was questioned by, or Elijah's authority was questioned by King Ahab? Elijah set up this huge prophetic symbol where fire came out of heaven and so burned up his sacrifice. So if we're paying attention to the details of the story, when somebody criticizes the legitimacy of one of God's prophets, God proves it in a pretty powerful demonstration. Elijah, in Elijah's story, fire came from heaven, and those criticizing him were burned up with Elijah and killed them, right? And in this story, some young men who were insulting the legitimacy of Elijah's successor have 
hairy masters come out of the woods. The kings of the forest come out and maul them. So it's actually a, a little bit of divine irony, something really interesting about the succession of Elisha's ministry and the proof that Elisha truly is the successor of Elijah. So interesting, right? Yeah. Um, super interesting. And it's like, okay, I know what's on the line now is a succession story mm. and that God is willing to protect his successor at all costs. Okay. What do I know about an Elijah in the New Testament? Oh, I know John the Baptist is the Elijah of the New Testament. And I know that that means Elisha is Jesus in mm. some sense. And I know that the bears of Rome mauled Jesus to death. And then Jesus was resurrected from the grave as proof that he was the superior prophet to Elijah. But also in another sense, I am a successor of Jesus because his spirit lives inside of me. And that's where we're told like to a greater degree than the apostles experience yeah. on some level. Yeah, yeah. So in what way can I expect God's divine protection on my behalf today? Mm. And it's good news to know that Jesus, God, omnipotent God in heaven is willing to protect his pr successors, his spirit-filled successors, no matter the cost, even if that means resurrecting from the dead. Mm. It's good stuff, man. So I don't know. That's I like a, it. That's no, I like a it. fun one. I, yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, any any risks that you see in taking gospel centrality or Christocentric readings of passages of scripture too far? Like, is there a way that we can actually mangle the meaning of a text uh, by trying to force Jesus where he isn't? I think there's two different ways you could take that worry. One worry is what you just said, like making Jesus more of the main point than the main point of a particular sure. passage. And I think that's true. You have to watch out for authorial intent. You need to watch out for what the original audience would have heard. You need to be, be mindful of what the New Testament says in relationship to that passage, if it says anything at all. All those things maintain like good expository, like principles always maintain. But I also want to talk about like, and so I think that's one, yes, that's possible. Be on the guard for it. The other way I think we can mangle the gospel in our preaching of an Old Testament text in particular is generally when we um, refuse to acknowledge that the gospel is more multifaceted than we, than we think it is. I think I see this oftentimes when people like only preach the social aspects of the gospel. Gotcha. I also see it in people who only ever preach penal substitutionary atonement. Like yeah. the only thing that happens according to them in the Bible is that Jesus gives us moral commands to follow or that he died as a substitutionary sacrifice, canceling the legal demands of God's omnipotent law. But man, there is so much more happening in scripture. Not that it doesn't teach those things. Obviously it does. But there's so many more layers to the gospel that I think takes a lot of work to get to. And often, like, the way you preach the gospel becomes code for a theological camp that you fall into. And doing the hard work of preaching all the ways the gospel wants to be taught is actually pretty difficult. And it makes it can make you feel uncomfortable because sometimes you're in the minor prophets and you're going to sound like a social justice preacher. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're going to be in Leviticus and you're going to sound like a fundamentalist mm -hmm. talking about the fires of heaven. Sometimes you're going to talk about the new humanity and you're going to sound like N.T. Wright. Like there, there is a pretty wide array of ways to get to the diamond that is Jesus Christ. And so like one of the things that I've really fought for in our ministry in particular is being like a gospel polyglot. If there's a gospel language, like dozens of gospel languages 
good news languages that give us new facets of Jesus as our liberator from, uh, from slavery, the defeater, the Christus victor over the powers of Satan, if he's the, the inauguration of a new humanity partnering with us to change the world, if he is our penal substitutionary atonement, how do I be fluent in all of those things yeah. without diminishing one and then mangling the meaning of the text mm. in order to preach the one that I feel most comfortable with or the one that I think gets me the most brownie points among the crowd that I'm at. Um, I think a good example of this might be like Psalm 18 where, G where David says he's blameless in God's eyes and that God has rewarded him according to his righteousness. And normally I get pretty uncomfortable with that because like, no, 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 as a good, you know, card-carrying uh, man of God. It's like, no, no, we are sinners first, always. And then God, in his graciousness, saved us sinners. So what David doesn't mean here is that he's perfectly sinless, and we qualified David's claim to blamelessness. But really, that hamstrings the purpose of the whole text. David is on the run from King Saul, and David is innocent according to Saul's claims about him. Mm. And so the fact that he's banking on his innocence against Saul's guilt is it, it's right for him to maintain that he is innocent and for God to act on behalf of his innocence. And so it's actually really, really good news for people who are the victims of the cruelty of others to know that God sees their comparative innocence and is willing to save them because he's on the side of the innocent, not just the perfectly innocent ones that Jesus makes righteous, although that is obviously true, but the ones who are comparatively innocent to the ones that are hounding, abusing, or hunting them. That's good news yeah. that she's on the side of yeah, yeah, yeah. rescuing and coming towards those who are innocent compared to the, the, the ones who are hurting them. Man, this is a really helpful conversation. And, uh, you know, even as we start to land the plane here, I wonder if you can commend to me and to our listening audience some resources that will be helpful in helping us grow into some of these ways of understanding, of teaching, and of leading others to learn and self-feed in this kind of paradigm of, of scripture reading. Man, I, as I said before, Peter Lightheart's been really influential, especially fairly recently. Um, I've loved his work. Obviously, the Bible Project has been great too, just like understanding the scope of the Bible as literature. But I mean, the the best answer though is the hardest answer. It's like what what it takes is cultivating a biblical imagination where the storylines of scripture are overlapping such in your mind that you can make these connections for yourself. Like if we're not really familiar with the Old Testament text, if we're not really familiar with the ways that Jesus replays them, it's actually going to be really difficult for us to do this no matter how many commentaries we have by our side. Um, there's obviously a lot of great resources out there. Alec Mateer and Graham's Goldsworthy and like uh, Sidney Gradanis, like there, a lot of people have tread these waters before sure, us. Sure. Um, and I've read all those books, or at least a lot of them. And the thing that's transformed my ability to see Jesus in all scripture the most is just spending more time in the Bible. Um, and really what's been a blessing is that a spoken gospel is I've been writing 750 mini five minute sermons about this it's forced me to be much more attentive to my Bible than I have been in the past. And so I, I would just command, like, everybody should be in their Bibles more uh, and commentaries less. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Seth, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. Um, before we go, let our listeners know where they can find out more about you and your ministry at Spoken Gospel and how we can follow along. 
Yeah, visit us at SpokenGospel.com. You can find our whole library of resources there. We're about two-thirds of the way through the Bible right now. Um, one half to two-thirds through the way through the Bible right now. We should be finishing the next couple of years. We have a podcast that you can find on all your podcast players. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, we're on all the social media things. So social, uh, SpokenGospel.com, SpokenGospel, everywhere else. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. What a joy. I'm looking forward to catching up with you at the conference as, as the next few days uh, transpire. Uh, but man, for now, thank you so much for blessing us with your time and thank you for your ministry at Spoken Gospel. Thanks, man. And listeners, thank you so much for uh, your encouragement by listening to the Rooted Youth Ministry podcast. If you found this episode helpful or encouraging, we'd appreciate your help in bringing this grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated content to others who might also benefit. Help us serve others by sharing this resource on social media, by leaving five-star feedback, or simply by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. For more grace-filled, gospel-centered, Bible-saturated resources, be sure to visit rootedministry.com. As always, we give a special thanks to High Street Hymns for providing the music for this podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Rooted, my name is Davis Lacey. Thanks for listening to the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast.